Hello and welcome to the 25th episode of the Bat Flip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic data-driven fantasy baseball analysis. I am your host, Toby. That's right, 25th episode. We are a quarter century into our podcasting journey. I hope uh, everybody is enjoying it. I think you'll enjoy today's podcast. Uh, It's a conversation with Joe Saunders of the Fantasy World Order podcast. He's also an Astros fan from the Bronx, so we'll learn a little bit about that. We discussed a range of topics, including ways to evaluate your teams from the 2018 fantasy baseball season now that the season's over, in-season management and fab strategy, draft prep, player rankings, tiers, pro, uh, projections, standing gain points, spin rate, you name it, we talked about it. I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. Joe is a, uh, uh, he's a great guy to talk to. As always, you can find the podcast on iTunes and other podcast platforms. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating and write a nice review. Tell your friends. We're a little podcast, and the only way uh, for us to reach more people is your help in sharing and letting them know that you enjoy our content. Thanks to everybody who has already left a five-star rating and a review. It really does mean a lot to me. Um, It's just, uh, it's really awesome to see. So you can follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and my fairly dormant blog, BatFlipCrazy.com. My hope over the off-season is to uh, update the website, make it a little bit more relevant, and keep it uh, updated throughout the season. Uh, Special thanks to Joe for joining me to talk fantasy baseball and an even bigger shout-out for his flexibility We had some audio issues in our recording on the podcast, and it actually ended up happening over the course of a couple days. As a result, there's some audio issues and some funky transitions, uh, but I did my best to piece the audio together. The major life lesson I have learned in the process of doing this podcast, along with Joe, is don't try to record podcasts in the parking lot of a restaurant in the middle of nowhere. Chances are that their Wi-Fi connection will not be great. Anyways, the conversation is still great. We touch on a ton of uh, topics. I definitely hope you enjoy it. Let's get this party started. Welcome to the Bat Flip Crazy Podcast, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me, Toby. Yeah, of course. Of course. How are you doing? Um, very well. How are you? Houston just uh, Houston just won, so I'm very happy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I saw I saw a tweet you put out there a little while ago about how you grew up in the Bronx, but you ended up an Astros fan. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, yeah, I grew up in the Bronx um, around all the Yankee fans, um, so they were all very Yankee fan like. Um, <laughs> I ho- I hope I'm not alienating any Yankee fan. Uh, here. But yeah, so, you know, they were very Yankee fan-like. Um, so, and, you know, they had a lot of success um, in, right, in the late 90s, early 2000s. So I, I felt like it would be kind of like a cop-out to mm. root for such a successful team. Um, so, you know, 10-year-old me, 11-year-old me was like, hey, let me pick another team. Um, and I, I kind of picked it based on colors. You know, like what kids do. Yeah. Right. Um, have the, the brick red, brick red and black. Um, so I was like, let me follow Houston. And I've been a fan ever since. So 
Nice. Some some painful years there, but uh, oh, I yeah. guess it's working oh. out for you now. Yeah, I, I can't really complain all that much, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you've got that championship. So, um, yeah, it's funny. I, I grew up in uh, Northern California, and uh, a lot of folks around me were A's fans because it was like Bash Brothers time, you know, like McGuire, Canseco, and everybody. And I, di- I didn't like them for the same reason. You know, they were always winning, and I kind of – you know, ended up liking a lot of underdog teams that broke my heart. So uh, I guess that's the way it works. Do you have a team, one team in particular? Uh, no, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, I was kind of a fan of players. So Robin Ventura was my favorite player growing up. So nice. I, I liked the White Sox a lot, like in the early nineties. Um, they were always good, but they weren't quite good enough. Um, then when he went to the Mets, I liked the Mets for a little while. And uh, I liked the Red Sox in the um, – I moved to Boston in 2000. And I'd already always grown up liking the Red Sox because my dad was from there. And he, he was a uh, – he'd always been a Red Sox fan, huge Red Sox fan. So when I moved to Boston, I kind of um, became a really big fan, went to a ton of games starting in, uh, in 2000. And so they weren't super good, uh, I don't think, initially. But then, you know, obviously I was in Boston for the two championships, which was awesome and – Awesome. Uh, you know, peak, peak Red Sox Yankees, which was a ton of fun, although also really painful. I still remember uh, I watched the, uh, the Aaron Boone home run in, in like the student union at, uh, at my school. And I remember being just like uh, just inconsolable at that. But, um, but we, ended up, <laughs> we ended up taking it. So we'll see. It's fun to, fun to see them playing each other again in this yeah. playoffs. Definitely. Um, cool. Well, let um, – you know, let's uh, let let folks know where they can kind of find you. We're about to hop into some some good fantasy baseball conversation. Joe is an awesome follow, has a great podcast, Fantasy World Order, Order along with Pat D, um, who was on uh, earlier uh, a couple weeks back. Sure. So uh, my Twitter handle is at Joe FWO. That's J-O-E-F-W-O. Um, and yeah, we're the Fantasy World Order podcast. Um, we're going through a little bit of a transition right now. So following me on Twitter is the best place to find out when we're releasing new content. Definitely. Um, sounds great. The podcast is great. It's one that I listen to regularly. Um, you guys do a lot of kind of in-depth analysis on the players, which I really appreciate. And Joe is also uh, a great follow on Twitter. So uh, definitely uh, give him a follow. So the season is is over now, uh, at least for the most part, unless for some strange reason you include playoffs in your fantasy baseball. Uh, but how did your how did the season go for you? How did your teams end up doing? Yeah. So before we talk about my teams, um, I just want to congratulate you on your strong showing in uh, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, <laughs> and uh, you also won you also won a, a a league with a bunch of podcasters, right? um i tgfbi was uh yeah i ended up tying for first thank you very much for bringing that up uh uh, like i mentioned on the last podcast i think somebody mentioned it or that i was doing well and i said i i'm paying people to be on the podcast just to mention this but yeah that uh (laughs) thank you i really appreciate that no i won um i won four leagues i won uh four of my eight leagues the tgfbi was one of them where i i was co-champ along with brant chesser from uh baseball hq who's a tremendous player. Um, I also won my biggest money league, um, which is uh, just a league that I'm in. I'm in every year. There's a different home league that I'm in, um, which I which I won, which was nice. Um, and then the fourth one, um, 
oh, was the 20 team real fake dynasty uh, one. So yeah, I guess there is a pod, other podcasters in that league. So there's 20 teams. It's a bunch of different guys. You know, it's a dynasty league. So some guys were going for younger players and I was kind of going for the championship from the get go. And my team ended up working well. I, I joked around like uh, I had Matt Carpenter and Chris Davis on the same team in kind of the June, July, you know, when they hit so many home runs and so many RBIs. And so they really, my offense really carried me there when my pitching dropped down and I ended up winning by a decent margin, about 20 points, but it was neck and neck with a max freeze there for a little while. Uh, oh August, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was I was following right. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the two of you guys are are really, really, really good analysts. I gotta say. Yeah. yeah well, thank um, you. Do you play? Do you play uh, mostly in roto leagues? Yeah, I play exclusively in roto leagues. Actually. Um, cool. Yeah, you know, I I I may pick up a head to head league next year. My challenge has always been, you know, I play fantasy football as well, but not nearly as much. Like I do very little na- analysis. One of the great things about doing the fantasy baseball stuff is that I really I have a chance to follow people who do both. And so I just pretty much listen to people who track football really closely and I end up doing uh, doing OK. But one thing that's always made me mad is like in, in one of my home leagues, you know, I'm always the guy who's like, oh, well, guess what? I'm like one or two in points or top three in points, but I'm not making the playoffs this year. Or, you know, there's just so much luck involved in a small sample of you know, 13 games to make the playoffs and then your playoff game. And so, you know, I've always been somebody who kind of shies away from that with baseball because I invest so much in it. But I do (laughs) think it's definitely fun, you know, to kind of have that head-to-head competition with people who are in your league too. So maybe I'll look to join one league. I think it's also good, you know, from an analyst perspective is I'm always thinking about Roto first. And I think it's good to be in those other leagues so you can provide a little bit more broader feedback because i think the stats are that like the most people play in head-to-head and most people play in points um and yeah. in 10 team leagues and so you know i'm kind of not really doing that right now so that's definitely i think a place where i could improve yeah i think that's actually uh, a place where like the industry in general can can improve because um you're not you're not exclusive in that um, a lot of industry experts and enthusiasts often play in roto leagues. And mm-hmm. actually, um, my home league, my longest running home league, uh, one that myself and Pat are both in, um, is a head-to-head league. So we've all we've actually had um, the lens of head-to-head analysis for a long time, and we're only just dipping into the roto analysis, really. Oh, um, interesting. It it is it is good to have. Um, it is good to have both views because there, there's definitely minor and small strategy tweaks that you have to partake in. All right, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think right, like I just said, fantasy fantasy analysts and enthusiasts and experts play a lot of this, um, a lot of roto, and we we our home head to head league is um, or our home league is a head to head league. Um, so it's it's good to be able to um, to be able to play in both of these different leagues because the strategies change ever so slightly in each, um, right? Like in in head to head leagues, it's really important to string together hot guys. Um, like hmm. you can you can easily drop a player um, if that you might want to wait on um, and just pick up a hot bat. Like Jesus Aguilar comes to mind this year, right? Like 
just immediately drop someone and pick up a hot guy and string him along until he gets cold. Mm. Um, and there, I mean, that works in Roto too, obviously, um, because you're just trying to accumulate <laughs> points. Um, but it's, it's a little bit more nuanced in head to head. Um, and I, I understand why experts like to play Roto, right? Because um, it does reveal the true champion, but the head to head playoffs are a lot of fun, even though they're a total crapshoot. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think uh, Pat had a good, uh, a good point on the last uh, when I talked to him just about how you can structure a league so that it um, rewards the overall champion as well as, you know, the person who wins in the playoffs. So I like that idea of kind of, you know, you have a certain amount of the pot that goes to the person who has the best year overall before the playoffs and then, um, you know, rewarding somebody in a, in a, also a meaningful way for winning the playoffs. So I think that's, that would be my preferred uh, method. I don't know if you agree with that or not. That's actually what our home league is. So yeah, we give a portion of the pot to the, to the season winner and then um, the rest to the champion. Cool. And how did, how did that home league go this year? Oh yeah. So all my leagues. So that head to head it's, so it's a head to head 12 team mixed league um, six by six. Uh, I was like middle of the pack there. Um, I just missed the playoffs and a dynasty league. That's 15 teams, mixed league, uh, head to head points. Um, just missed the playoffs there. And then um, in a 15 team mixed league roto, uh, we were like middle of the pack. So I pretty much finished middle of the pack everywhere. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know how much your listeners actually want to listen to my advice. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I remember distinctly, when I was on your guys' podcast, like back in June, I think me and you were on the same page about Anthony Rendon kind of breaking out of his early slump. And I think he hit like 10 home runs that month or something like that. So you got to listen to Joe, even though he may have had a tough season. Uh, what he says uh, should be taken as gospel for sure. Um, cool. So let's hop into that. I mean, you are, uh, you know, I follow you on Twitter. You have a really, a lot of great points. Uh, I really appreciate your analysis on the podcast too. I think you look at a lot of the kind of analytical side of the game, which is something that I obviously enjoy as well. Um, mm -hmm. So let's your, your process. Obviously it's going to be a little bit different because you're looking at head to head or points. Um, but I'm also interested in, I think hopefully listeners, uh, you know, are also interested in kind of hearing about, um, you know, how that, how that analysis might differ, differ, like you just mentioned. So what are some of the tools, resources, and metrics that you use in, in player analysis? So like websites, things like that, as well as just like your, your kind of micro, uh, metrics that, that are your Holy grail that you look to when you're doing analysis. Sure. So first we'll start off with tools, right? So the three main tools I use are fan graphs, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's like the mainstay. Um, actually, I've, I've got a little bit of a funny story about fan graphs, right? So um, when I was in college uh, about 10 years ago, I guess, right? Yeah, 10 years ago. Um, I, uh, I like started to get into um, sabermetrics. And you got to remember 10 years ago, it was not popular. It was not. Um, yeah. I used to throw around war to my friends and they were like, shut <laughs> up. I don't care. Um, just watch. And I was like, okay, like, you'll see, you'll see. Um, and so I was reading fan graphs, like the very early days. I remember even before 
I, I mean, like I sound like a hipster right now, but I, <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. We appreciate was, all types of people. It was before audience. they were paying any of their writers. Um, wow. And it was like, just really interesting to see. Like, I remember when I first started, I was like, Oh, you know, BAPIP, BAPIP's like so important. Like it's such a good predictor of batting average. And um, I was like, fit, FIP's such a good predictor of ERA. Like this guy's deserves so much better. And as I've, as I've read more and learned more, um, I've gotten better. So I, I like, it's just, you start off, you start off in your infancy and you start looking at statistics, but even, even every day we're all getting better and learning. Um, but anyway, so Fangraphs is the mainstay. Um, then the second is um, the new stat cast information at Baseball Savant. Um, mm. And then the third I really like to use is Brooks Baseball. Um, and that one I use almost exclusively for pitching. Um, yep, because same they, here. Have, they have really good pitching information and even more specifically, um, good release point information. Um, and I use that a lot to determine whether or not um, pitchers have changed something mechanically or if it's just a results sort of thing, like if they just strung together some luck. Um, one plan I want to implement more this offseason is actually a more holistic approach to fantasy baseball. So, um, right, again, like 10 years ago, I started reading Sabermetrics, and I've, it's been my Bible for a long time. Um, but I found that when I actually watch hitters just hit and pitchers just pitch, um, I've watched enough baseball in my life that I can usually tell when someone's pretty good and just mm. getting bad luck. Um, and I know it's not very scientific and <laughs> it's not, it's not. Um, yeah. No, it's but, yeah. Yeah. But my goal this off season is to just try and watch more tape of guys from mm. 2018 than I ever have before. Um, and specifically guys that I'm interested in, in breaking out um, like, one that comes to mind is Matt Olson, right? Like we know he, he, we know he has this enormous power, but I want to take a, a, a really deeper look into his at bats and see if, if he can truly tap into that, not just based on sabermetric statistics, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, Definitely. As far as some more metrics, um, I'm a big plate discipline guy. So K percentage, walk percentage, contact scores, um, chase rates, whiff rates, those are all good. Um, hard contact and barrels are good too for evaluating how legit hitters are. Um, right, like the past two years, I've I identified Max Muncy and Chris Taylor quite early mm. just by taking a look at the hard contact nice. and the barrels. Um, I'm not. I'm, yeah, Muncy was Muncy was way up there. Yeah, was yeah, way up there from the get go. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I'm that... not that big into looking at launch angles or exit velo on their own. Um, I don't think they tell the whole story, right? I think barrels do a much better job of encapsulating that. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm in a similar place. I uh, I had some tweet uh, earlier this week where I was like, "Hot take: average exit velocity is overrated." Um, sure. And, they and for me, balls. yeah, exactly. So for me, like, I don't like to look at average exit velocity or average launch angle in an, in isolation, right? Like a good example I used and this was in the middle of the season or kind of towards the end of the season. I'm not sure how it finished out, but like, if you look at Matt Carpenter, his launch angle didn't change that dramatically. I think it was like within one degree this year, but the whole reason why he excelled this year is that he was able to actually drop his launch angle. 
He hit a ton of balls over 40 degrees last year, which are essentially just automatic outs. So it, it zapped his batting average and his home runs because they were just warning, warning uh, track shots. And he talked about it early on about how he was going to try to hit more line drives and, you know, focus less on home runs, which isn't necessarily the thing that I would have said. But what I got out of it was he's trying to lower his launch angle. And that's what we want to see. And his hard drive rate, which is something that x calculates, it's essentially like your your uh, low fly balls, high, high line drives that get extra base hits and home runs. He doubled the league average this year. And so if you look at his average launch angle, it doesn't tell you that story. It doesn't tell you how many balls he actually hit at good launch angles versus, um, you know, launch angles that would, would have resulted in outs or like you mentioned, you know, ground balls, right? If you hit, if you hit a ball, you know, negative uh, 25 and then you hit a ball, uh, 50, you know, your average launch angle is going to be okay, but yeah. it's not going to tell you that those are both going to be outs, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the same is, is true with average exit velocity. You have guys who hit a ton of balls that are 100 miles per hour or, or greater, but they're on the ground, which is great, right? That's going to help their batting average. Yeah. Um, but it's not, those aren't going to be home runs. And so a lot of times what I'll do is look at them in tandem. So, you know, within these launch angles, wh- who has the highest average exit velocity or so on and so forth. So I'm right on board with you with that. Yeah, it's nice, too, that um, this year uh, they've added the histograms, right? So now you can see the bins of, you know, how often someone's in the 5 to 10 degree launch angle or 15 to 20 degree launch angle. So that mm. kind of helps a little bit um, to visualize the data a bit more. Now, um, is that the same as the launch angle chart or is that is that a different... Um, a different thing on baseball savant yeah so if you go to Statcast at the i think they're at the bottom um okay if you choose histogram um are cool. you are you like looking right now no i'm not looking right now but i'm i'm, I'm making a little note to myself to check it out well let me let me look right real quick because i don't want to i don't want to lead you <laughs> yeah 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 but for those who are those who are listening, what you're going to do is you're going to follow what Joe is saying. Uh, go check out Statcast histograms for sure. I'm going to do that. Oh man, let me get a player real quick. Sorry. No, no, that's that's quite all right. Uh, um, so they're they're on the individual player pages. Okay. Maybe that's why. Okay. Um, oh my god, I can't get a freaking player up. Uh, that, that that's it's cool i mean we won't be able to see the histogram obviously on the podcast but it's a really good it's re- like what i the reason why i'm having folks on here is really to try to create a you know a community like the podcast is designed to interview folks who know what they're doing and theoretically to help people learn about new tools and resources and metrics that are out there and so this is a really good example of one um you know that that i'm definitely going to check out and i think Folks who are listening to the podcast should definitely check out and see how it can be useful to them. Yeah. Okay. So I got one up, right? So it's on the player pages. Um, and then if you click Statcast, then um, you get batting, fielding, running, histograms, and zones. If you click histograms, you get the histograms, right? So um, nice. for example, right, I have launch angle open right now. So there's different, there's, uh, there's different options for different bin sizes, but you can bin them up so you can get a sense of, is this player hitting a lot of, a lot of 25 to 30 degree launch angle mm. or are they all at the extremes and there's very little in the, in the sweet spot. So, um, yeah, Statcast Definitely. Yeah. Statcast is awesome. All right. So Joe, you talked a little bit about fan graphs, how you use that baseball savant. You gave us a new tool 
to take a peek at in the histograms that they have there on the Baseball Savant player pages. Um, you mentioned uh, Brooks Baseball is another website you use. Can you talk a little bit about how you use that? Yeah, sure. So uh, for pitcher specifically, right, there are three things that I'm almost always looking at um, to see if there's any standout things. And um, I think there are three things. So the first is, did the pitcher change their pitch mix at all? Um, I do look at fan graphs and um, Brooks Baseball for that. More sliders, less fastballs, that sorts of thing. Um, someone like uh, Jermon Marquez comes to mind this year. Um, at adding more of the slider. So more secondary pitches is good. Second is, um, did pitchers velocity change at all? I think that's one we're all cognizant of. And then the third that I use base or, uh, Brooks baseball a lot for is did the, uh, the pitcher make any mechanical adjustment, right? And, um, Brooks baseball is really good because you can, um, plot, uh, horizontal and vertical release points on the same, same plot at the same time. So you can actually pretty much see exactly where a pitcher is releasing. So you can very easily see um, if there's any significant change. You can also right, make some plots of, um, of release points over average release points over different years. So you can see if there's any changes that way. Um, and I think mechanical adjustments are some of the biggest ways to pinpoint um, either emerging pitchers or pitchers that are really broken. Mm. Um, and the other thing that I started to dabble in is uh, spin rate, right? Um, that's not on Brooks Baseball. Um, that's also on Baseball Savant. Um, but I, I'm, I need to dig a little bit deeper because I'm only like a novice on fastball spin rates. I, mm. I know that there's like a difference between 2200 and 2400 RPM, but I don't really have a good sense of how much of a difference there is. Um, so that's usually what I use to evaluate pitchers. Definitely. Yeah. But Brooks baseball, I think it's come up a couple of times on the podcast, but definitely a great, uh, great resource for pitchers. Um, yeah. And it's one thing that I kind of struggle with as I'm doing analysis is not having a background in baseball. Um, you know, it's difficult for me to pinpoint whether something is mechanical or not, but like you mentioned that being able to see the release points, being able to see whether those are changing. I know like Corey Kluber had a knee issue earlier this year, I think. And, um, when you looked at his at the dip in his uh, in his vertical release point, it was pretty significant because he couldn't um, he couldn't like withstand the the impact um, as well as usual. So definitely some great things. When you do use the spin rate, um, how how are you kind of using that, or how are you integrating that into the other analysis? Because that's something that I I, I definitely um, don't do on a regular basis. Yeah, sure. So um, I, again, I'm no expert on spin rate. Um, but I'm pretty sure that there's a, a good correlation between higher RPM fastballs and fastball success, specifically, mm. right, like batting average and, and WOBA against. Mm. Um, so the upper echelon RPM guys like now Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, right, um, they have very, very good success on their fastballs. Um, yeah. I can't think of anyone with a, with a particularly – Yeah, so so someone like uh, 
like Derek Cole, right, and Trevor Bauer, right, they have they have pretty high uh, RPM fastballs. And, you know, the way I use this is sort of like um, someone like Nick Pavetta, right, who you've um, done a lot of fastball <laughs> research on. Yeah. Right, and how poor his fastball is, right? So I'd implore both of us to take a look at his RPM on his fastball. And if it's mm. low, you know, if you and I can identify a weakness in – in a pitcher, you have to think that someone like the Phillies or some of these more um, stat-oriented uh, baseball teams can figure it out too. So it's sort of like there's a path to greater success for a pitcher. Not necessarily that they will be better, um, but some like someone like Pavetta is a perfect example, right? Like you can see a path to him being better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lowering, lowering his Babbitt considerably and getting a better fastball. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, no, your, uh, your point um, is definitely, uh, is definitely taken there. And that's definitely something that I want to do too, is incorporate spin rate analysis a little bit more. Um, you mentioned that, uh, yeah, like Herman, uh, Herman Marquez, um, how his, I think you mentioned his curveball um, was, was pretty elite. So that's obviously a guy who started throwing good pitches more often and, and has seen the results. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Before we go on too, have you ever heard of um, MLB quality of pitch? Uh, on Twitter? Uh, Twitter. They have a website too. Oh, really? I, I only know the, the Twitter handle, but I don't know the website. Okay. Yeah. It's like QOPbaseball.com. I mean, okay. so you, you know about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've used that a little bit, but. I don't know. I, I've from what I've glanced at, I found that like some of the results look a little wonky. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if you felt that way, but like some uh, pitchers, like like some pitchers have like really high ratings that I'm like eh, a little skeptical of. Yeah, I you know I've been back and forth with the Twitter handle before, and what the Twitter handle said, um, the, the Twitter the Twitter handle uh, was, <laughs> yeah. was essentially that. Um, that it, it's not based on outcomes at all. It's all based on, um, on like the pitch. So movement of the pitch, spin rate of the pitch, and it doesn't, it's not based on outcomes. So if somebody has a pitch that breaks a lot vertically, horizontally, you know, and whatnot, but still gets crushed, um, that, that isn't taken into consideration in terms of how good the pitch is, which, you know, makes some sense, but at a certain point, the outcomes matter a lot. Right. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of been my, um, yeah, my, my, my back and forth with the Twitter handle. So yeah. And I, and, and I also, go ahead. what's that? All right. Do you, do you use, um, do you use the information at all in your analysis? Uh, not really in my analysis. Okay. Um, but occasionally like we'll, we'll engage or I'll see it and, and it's interesting. So, yeah. And in, and in this time, I just looked up Nick Pavetta's, uh, four seam fastball spin rate and it's okay. 2,268, which is uh 315th. So, and my understanding too of spin rates is that it's both the high end and the low end, right. Um, that you get movement off of both of those. So, um, because, uh, there was this really interesting, uh, Twitter, uh, exchange i think it was it might have been the pitching ninja who had a gif of um two different change-ups i can't remember who the first person was but there was like absolutely no spin on it uh it might have been louis severino there was like no spin on it and then they showed trevor richards and there's like a ton of spin on it 
Oh yeah, he's got um, a filthy changeup. <laughs> oh yeah, he's got it. If he could only throw anything else for a strike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that um, you know, so that's that at least in my my rudimentary understanding of, of spin rate is kind of what matters. But yeah, 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 and and I think fastball specifically, I think there's a little bit in curveballs and a little bit in changeups. But I think you're right, right? Like the extremes of the secondary offerings. Um, isn't as important as fastballs for whatever reason. Um, like I think mm. the correlation between like fastball um, batting average against and mobile against and whatnot is stronger with with uh, fastball RPM than than any other pitch. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, because I know like yeah, and it definitely depends on the type of pitch. Because I know with like two seamers in particular, um, having a low spin rate is I, I believe considered. Um, to be a pretty good thing because it gets a lot of downward movement. I want to say yeah, but, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. That's uh, that. That was fun. Um, I enjoy kind of learning about these new tools and and bringing them up on the podcast because really what we're trying to do is is create an opportunity for folks to learn. I'm definitely learning a lot by, from some of the stuff that you are um, bringing up. Uh, we're obviously um, kind of. Um, uh, toward the end of the end of the year here. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious, like what is your process for going back and evaluating your teams and kind of analyzing them after the season? Um, do you do anything or, or, and what does that look like? Sure. So I do sort, sort of like two sets of postseason evaluation. The first is um, I record all the statistics of um of my league, right? So, uh, whatever it is, batting average, um, OPS, home runs, right? Grab the the average of all the teams, the standard deviations of all those teams, all the teams, or of the league. Um, mm. That gives me a good sense of, you know, what sort of trends are happening, right? Are stolen bases out of control in the league? Or is the standard deviation of of, st- of stolen bases out of control? Have they have they jumped up a ton? Have they stayed the same year over year? Um, so I do a lot of that. Um, and then the other second set of evaluation I do is kind of I, I reflect on what I did wrong and actually what the successful teams did correctly, right? Mm. And it's usually the same same sort of problem that I always have. I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here um, yeah. to your interview questions, right? But um, I think the most common thing that I usually do when I'm um, – when I have a mediocre season is I'm not aggressive early enough. Whereas mm. successful teams are, um, you know, grabbing, grabbing some guys on the waiver wire and dropping some guys that just aren't, aren't successful. I have a tendency mm. to, um, you know, to hold out on data a little bit longer and keep saying to myself, Oh, but this guy's got a really good, a ton of barrels, right? He's, he's going to put it together at some point. He's got to get hot. He's got to get hot. And then it ends up biting me. So, yeah. Um, those that's are really... What's up? Oh, I was just going to say that's, I, I think that's always, that's a pr- predicament I find myself in too is, yeah, when do you, I mean, everybody finds himself in, right? Like, when do you let go of the player? You know, how long do you wait for the outcomes to catch up with the skills? Because there's a lot of guys who can, you know, who can show those skills. Like a good one for me is like um, uh, Domingo Herman on the Yankees this year. You know, the skills were off the charts, right? He was like, close to the top of the league in O swing in swinging strike rate and Z contact for a little while there. 
but he was just getting hit so hard and it was tough for me to cut, cut him loose. And it ended up costing me because I held on uh, for too long. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a really, really good one. Yeah, so th- those are the those are the two meaty things that I do post postseason. Can I ask what you do, if anything? Oh man, uh, this is gonna be embarrassing. You know, I I don't do a ton of evaluation. Like what I'll do, for instance, is go back and take a look at who I thought was gonna be good. It's less like a team specific thing, I guess, and more of like a player specific thing. So I'll go back and look at you know, like I just did a podcast on. Uh, looking back at my preseason bold predictions and then figuring out, okay, what was I thinking? What was the process I used? Where did I go right? Or where did I go wrong? Because I think for me, like a lot of, a lot of everything boils down to player analysis and, and whether you're, you're able to identify guys who are improving or who are getting worse or, you know, who guys you can let go or guys you should pick up. And so I tend to look back more at that type of stuff. Um, There are other things like, you know, there are those big moments, you know, like for instance, I put a huge bid of 370 bucks on Juan Soto when he came up and somebody in my league put a, put a bit of 400 on him. Right. And that, and then later on in that, in that season, that same league, I put a bit of 300 bucks on Kyle Tucker when he got called up, you know, because number one, I had, I had fab left. And number two, I was like, okay, you know, uh, I just put too many, too many eggs in that basket. And that actually hampered me a little bit down the stretch. I ended up winning that league, but, um, it was a lot closer than I think it needed to be because I, I, I wasted all that fab on a guy who, you know, not only hurt my bottom line, but didn't end up playing a whole ton. So there are little bits like that, you know, picking up Mac Max Muncy pretty, pretty early was like a big, was like a key thing. And so I'll look back and think like, okay, well, Muncie was among the league leaders in barrels. And then when I looked at his skills, his plate discipline was off the charts. His Z contact wasn't stupendous, but it was right around league average, which for a power hitter like that is, is really good. So I didn't really see many weaknesses in his approach. And I went with him. So I'll kind of go back and like, look at things like that. Um, If there's a glaring, uh, like for instance, in TGFBI, I had a ton of pitching and, you know, it's just a good reminder. You can never have too much pitching because I traded, David Price before he went, went nuts for Fernando Rodney, which, you know, I felt like I was losing the trade, but I just needed a closer and I was willing to dump price because I didn't believe in him. And if I had had him Mm -hmm. second half, it would have been a different story. And then I had guys like Tyson Ross who were pitching. Well, I actually, uh, I traded him for Yasmani Grandal, which were ended up working out well, but I kept on trading pitchers and by, and like, lo and behold, two months left in the season, I'm looking at my starting rotation and there's just nothing there. And then I just think back and I'm like, you know, I should have held on to that starting pitching a little bit longer, maybe been a little bit more patient on saves. And you can always at the end at the trade deadline, make some moves. There's always a lot of movement with closers down the stretch. So, you know, there, there are things like that where I'll kind of go through, you know, particular moves that might've happened that are glaring, but mostly it's going back and thinking through player analysis and like where my weaknesses might lie there. Um, Yeah. But anyways, so, so yeah. wait, don't sell yourself short though. I mean, you do analysis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's analysis, but like, um, I, I don't like go back with each of my teams and really thoroughly analyze what might've gone right or what might've gone wrong. Maybe in like the, big I, I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. I mean, I don't know if there's really too much value in doing that because, um, I mean, it, 
it kind of what happened happened you know yeah um sure you can like evac that's why that's why i think like and we'll talk about this a little bit later but like discussing or like looking over your weaknesses as a fantasy player i think might be a little bit more important because any one season you know there is a certain randomness to this game mm-hmm. any fantasy game yeah so i mean you could just get bit by some bad luck um so yeah i i, I don't i wouldn't actually i wouldn't actually be too worried about doing like team by team analysis of you know what what you or i did all right well, I feel better now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I only, I only just recently, st- uh, well, maybe like three years ago, just recently started pulling all the, um, the data from my leagues. Um, and actually, I wanted to tie that in a little bit to uh, what I had said earlier about the difference between Roto and head to head. So something that we talk about a lot on our, our show is um, not to buy into the whole stolen base extravaganza thing Mm. um i know like the this past year everyone's been a little bit crazy about stolen bases um and so we play primarily in head-to-head leagues right so we were we're we're not very in tune with the stolen base craze because you know if you have someone like d gordon or billy hamilton right in Mm. any given week yeah right it's sort of like roto in that any extra stolen bases are useless but in head-to-head specifically, you need you need them throughout the whole season, right? Mm. And the extra stolen bases go to waste, right? So if you beat someone 10-1 in stolen bases or 2-1 in stolen bases, it doesn't matter, Yeah, right? It's like the same thing. Unless if you're in points. If you're in points, then that's different. But in strictly head-to-head, it doesn't matter. So that's like one, one place where there's a huge difference. And so in in looking in my league um, information, right, the standard deviation of stolen bases hasn't changed at all mm. between um, 1 through 12 um, in the league. So uh, I, let this, this this past year, didn't go in hunting stolen bases because it was just like it doesn't really matter that much. All I have to do is scrape together some stolen bases, and I'll win some and I'll lose some. Whereas in Roto, right, if you – if you go off to a huge lead in stolen bases, right. And you're up by like 60 or 70 over the next guy, then you can trade that guy and get somewhere else. And you still be, you'll still be fine. Mm-hmm. Where in head to head, you can't afford to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I would think would be hard with head to head and stolen bases is that stolen bases tend to come in bunches because of, you know, either matchups, you know, whether it's catcher pitcher and stolen base guys. And so it's very hard to know when those bunches are going to come. And so I think that that would be something that's challenging too about really betting on stolen bases is unless you have a lot of, you know, like a bunch of guys, and this is actually a strategy that I use in Roto is I'd rather have a bunch of guys who steal, you know, 10 to 20 bases than, yeah, than I would, you know, one guy that I'm really relying on. And I think that's, it's kind of like a built-in insurance strategy. You know, it's like a portfolio like, you know, if you're putting together a portfolio, you don't want to just get stock in like all of one particular thing, right? Like you want to diversify. And, and I think that's the way that I, that I think about stolen bases there. But I think head to head would be even more frustrating because like, you know, yeah, it's like you, you tend to get those days where you steal like three or four bases in a game, right? Like maybe just Oliver Tomondesi does that in Whitmerfield. But, um, you know, I got to throw, throw my boys in there. Um, but 
yeah, like I think that would be really hard to to judge, you know, in in a head to head since I don't play it there. But can you can you talk a little bit about the standard deviation though and explain that to folks cuz cuz people might not not get what that means that the standard deviation is staying the same even though stolen bases is going down. Yeah, sure. So, right, like what I'm essentially getting at is the 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 amount of stolen base essentially like variance isn't changing, right? So, um, in order to go up, up, you know, a, a position in stolen bases or down a position in stolen bases is staying the same, mm-hmm. right? So everyone in the league is either seeing a decrease or increase in stolen bases. And so, um, even if the average number of stolen bases is going down, um, for um, the difference between each of the, each of the the teams is staying the same. So, right, like, if we were talking about 200 stolen bases in a season, um, but it took it, you know, between the first person and the second second team, it was just like a difference of 10 or so. It's sort of like, well, that difference is now smaller because there's less stolen bases around, but the amount of stolen bases, like, again, right, the amount of stolen bases you need to get to the next spot, spot, smaller i don't know if that 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 sounded very confusing no 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 i think that was good i liked how you explained it that like that it's kind of impacting people the same like the average is going down but the distance between teams is essentially staying the same um yeah and at least at least in my in my home league right um and that's why i that's why i think this this is a really good this is a really good analysis to do right just grab the information from your home league and do it yourself, right? You can just do it in Excel, put it in, average all your stats, standard deviation, all your stats, get it out there, take a look at it, put it in a graph, and then you're done. It's not, it's not like, um, it's not like rocket science or brain surgery and not very cumbersome to do. Yeah. Thank God for Excel, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, there may be, there may be a change a little bit, I think, in the overall player pool, um, not necessarily for your league, just because there seems to be kind of fewer guys who are, uh, you know, stealing a lot of bases. But that would be an interesting analysis. I'm sure folks are are, are doing that as well. Um, yeah, one of my my problems is like I love Roto so much because I love the idea of putting together balanced teams, and so it almost seems to me like it like it's taking away part of the challenge to not you know, like giving up on one category or not. Obviously the point is to win the game, but like, I just love having a balanced squad that's competing in all of those things. So um, anyways, that's just, that's just, uh, that's just me. Um, so we talked a little bit about kind of the end of the season evaluation. What do you do um, as you approach kind of the off season? So let's say between now and when you draft, you know, what exactly are you doing to prepare for the upcoming season? Sure. So, um, in the past, I used to kind of just do rankings, um, maybe like two, two, actually, yeah, as, as close as two years ago, I just did rankings. Um, and what I found just this past year I did was making my own projections. And I felt that that was good because it really allowed me to write down, um, what I felt players were going to produce Mm. right so um and it really lets you dig into surprising players right like 
there's a lot like we're we're involved in this, right? So you and I know that David Peralta hit over 30 home runs, but someone that didn't own him, right, and was kind of out of it by August, early August or late July, might not know that David Peralta hit over 30 home runs, right? And it's just something like that. Like when you're going through your own when you're going through your own projections and you're creating your own projections, you might be like, oh wow, you know, should I adjust that? Do I think he'll do it again? Something like that. So just last year, I started doing my own own projections of every single player that I thought was fantasy relevant. Hmm. Um, was Max Muncy also, on that? Max Muncy was not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He was like ADP, ADP of, of a thousand. <laughs> yeah, but I did I did grab him. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other set of sort of rankings I do, or I did just for the first time last year, was uh, standing gain points, right? Mm-hmm. So we had talked about this a little bit offline. But um, so essentially what you're doing is you're taking, um, you're taking your, league, your league information, right? Your league average information. So those, the, the average number of home runs, the average OPS, the average average, whatever of your league. Um, and then you're creating essentially points or dollar values that you need in order to move up a standing, right? So this is really helpful in Roto, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, because it's just standings, but it's even helpful in head to head because it gives you a sense of how many more, how much value said player is going to give in stolen bases or home runs. Um, So it sort of creates like a dollar value or or points value weighted on each stat. Um, I did it for the first time last year. Um, The guys over at smart fantasy baseball have, have a guide and they have, it's all free. Um, and they have a guide. It's a little mathy. Um, you you gotta be a little bit good at Excel. Um, but I think it's really helpful to side with my own projections. That way it gives me a sense of if I'm missing a player or Mm. not. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I'm undervaluing a player based on my, my own projections because of the league format I'm in. Um, or maybe I'm overvaluing a player because of the league format I'm in. So um, that's something I picked up just last year um, in doing. I also tier 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 my rankings, right? Like, so I have like a big bold line in my Excel sheet mm. of where I think a tier is, um, or where there's a noticeable tier. Um, so I I do all three of those things. Cool. Now going back to the projections, how did you go about? putting those together like did you use a baseline of an existing publicly available projection system like a steamer okay yeah so i, I used uh primarily zips and steamer okay. um i mean i'm not smarter than the computers <laughs> right uh, so it's 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 like really hard to just pull out of thin air um some projections although i think now that i've been so involved um in in the statistics this year, I feel like I can do a pretty good job of where I think I'd have my own projections. The hard part is runs and RBIs, to be mm. honest. I think home runs and stolen bases are, are a little bit simpler to grasp. Mm. But runs and RBIs, they change a lot from year to year. Um, they're very dependent on lineup and lineup position. Yeah. Um, so those, those are in particular hard to, to uh, predict on, on your own. So those I, I generally use like Zips and Steam. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and one thing that I've heard a lot of people do, and I kind of do this a little bit myself too, is with uh, like steamer has a steamer 600. So like it looks at folks, if everybody got 600 plate appearances, where would folks be at? And it's a really good way to identify some hidden value because so much of um, 
so much value comes from plate appearances, right? Like a guy like Whit Merrifield would not be as good as he is if he was batting towards the back of the lineup because he gets 700 plus plate appearances batting first, you know, with the Royals. Um, and then there's similar situations where a guy may start on the bench, you know, and, and, you know, you may identify his skills as being, you know, uh, underrated. But the reason why is that, you know, he's only had 300 plate appearances the last three years. And so steamers is only given, Steamer's only given him 300 plate appearances. So I think that's a, that would be a really good tool, tool that I'd highlight for folks. Um, so you kind of, you take the baseline of steamer and zips, and then do you just kind of uh, look at whether you agree with it or not, and then maybe add on or detract a little bit from it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I adjust, um, you know, based on what I've seen of the player, um, what I think going forward Right, because um, oftentimes when these projections come out, they have only they have incomplete information. Mm. Right, um, and what I, what I noticed last year too, uh, when I was putting these together, is that they, you know, they weren't updated all the time. Like right away, once a big move yep. happened, right. Like for example, Stanton went to the Yankees. Right, all the Yankee players weren't updated immediately, which is understandable. Right, these guys have have lives; they can't be <laughs> cut all the time. Yeah. Um, so I get it, but, uh, so it's like things like that. Like I'll just make my own adjustments and, you know, um, even, even it happens with the fringe players a lot, right? Like the, uh, the come-ups like Acuna was, was actually really had pretty lofty projections. Um, and he actually beat those projections if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I think the projection systems often have trouble sometimes with the, uh, the call-ups. Mm. Um, and for example, someone like Max Muncy, right? Like there was no one predicting mm. that. Um, so it's like th- those spots where I'll make larger adjustments than, than someone like, I don't know, like Paul Goldschmidt. I think um, they were probably pretty close and my projections were probably pretty close because I didn't deviate too far. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, I know that, I mean, they're conservative in nature. And so oftentimes it takes, uh, you know, uh, a lot of information to change them considerably. Um, I do know that they were also uh-huh. steamer was really high on Juan Soto when he was coming up. Um, you know, so, but yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. And how did you, have you done an analysis of like how your projections did in comparison or, or kind of lessons learned from going through that process? Cause I think that's super, I think it's awesome to be, to do that yourself and, um, you know, and, and kind of how from year to year you kind of build on that and improve your own system, if you will. Sure. So I haven't actually gone back yet. Um, I, I haven't actually even thought about it until you just mentioned <laughs> it right now. So I think it could actually be a good idea to go back. Um, I think I think probably at the top I did a good job, um, like the one through tens at positions. Um, I think probably in the middle is where things got dicey. And I think that's probably okay. I feel good about that because the middle is where it's tough, right? The middle is kind of hit or miss, right? Like, um, for example, someone like Raphael Devers, right? Um, I had him like 13th at at third base. Um, He probably ended outside there. Um, But I don't know if I necessarily feel bad about putting him at 13. Like, yeah. Even even if my projections were off, you know that that sort of thing. I mean, maybe maybe I should feel bad. No. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the thing is, it's um, 
you know, there are unforeseen things, right? Devers was on the DL. You know, he really struggled for a stretch there. There was playing time competition with some of the deals that the the Red Sox made too. So, um, you know, that's that's that is, I think, the most challenging thing is so much of it boils down to uh, uh, to opportunity. You know, as you mentioned, like so much of it boils down to where you're batting in the lineup. You know, like uh, Yasiel Puig is a great example. He started out the year batting, uh, I think, fifth, had a couple games in the third spot, but he struggled mightily. Then when he came back, he was back at seven, eight in the lineup, and that really impacted his, you know, a lot of his opportunities, right? He comes to mind just because I'm obsessed uh, with him and had him on a bunch of my teams this year. But, you know, so much of it is that, right? And so I think that's one of the things that's key during a season is to monitor where where guys are batting in the lineup because from like seventh or first to third in the lineup will have a pretty considerable impact on the opportunities that somebody has depending on the lineup obviously um but yeah I'm sure like, yeah no yeah yeah i'm with you yeah i'm totally with you there yeah so um yeah and we you mentioned we we talked a little bit offline about standing gains points and um and it's definitely something that I want to do and I'm uh, just uh, want to figure out how to have time or, or leverage other people's expertise or intelligence uh, by accessing their standing gain points. Um, but um, that's something that you did this year for the first time. Is that right? Yeah. And how did that, how did that end up uh, working, working for you? Yeah. So I, again, right. Like it helped me sort of identify, um, if I was heading in the right direction with, with my projections. Um, and I felt like it, it did. The only thing is, is that, so I'm um, in order to properly get batting average and any, any rate stats, you have to have, you have to input, um, you know, like innings pitched or at, or plate appearances. Mm -hmm. um, and something I omitted when I was doing my projections was plate appearance projections mm -hmm. um, because I thought that, to go through everyone and actually project plate appearances was kind of, uh, I don't know. I thought it was kind of useless because I was just really worried about home runs and stolen bases. Mm -hmm. So what I did, I, let me explain what I did actually. So first I created projections and then I looked into standing gain points and was like, Oh, let me, let me do this to supplement. Um, and then only later did I realize that for the rate stats, you need plate appearances, innings pitched. So, I didn't have time to go back and add um, any of that information. So I kind of finagled my way into standing gain points. But I think this year um, I'll have the, the plate appearances and innings pitched. So the analysis should be much, much more refined. Um, nice. But again, it, it, did, it did just let me know if I was in the neighborhood of, of – properly projecting players yeah. yeah and it's um it's super helpful in roto to think about things in standing gain points because we've covered this a lot but like you can you can have too much of a category you know like a good example this year is in one of my home leagues speaking of stolen bases like i won stolen bases by maybe 60 stolen bases i think this year and that's after trading players at the deadline it's like i had merrifield i had kane i had jose ramirez it's a keeper league um, and nice. so it, it's really helpful, um, to think about like, for me, like I don't do standing gains points, but I'm 
always thinking about where I am in each category and trying to find like a relative balance there. So a lot of times with standing game points, like the standing game points are then translated to dollar values. And for me, what's really helpful, and they have this on the auction calculator too on fan graphs is, and I actually don't really use it that much, but I know it's there is looking at like how much, what the dollar value is for each particular category. Um, you know, so like how much money are they adding to your team in stolen bases or RBI or runs or home runs just to get a sense of like, like you mentioned, like, am I on the right track? Like, am I in the right, uh, am I headed in the right direction in terms of the balance that I want to have, um, in my, in my particular team. And one thing that I did last year was I, I figured out the rate stats, just like, uh, runs per plate appearance, RBI per plate appearance, home runs per plate appearance, um, stolen bases per plate appearance, and then average. Um, I don't know. I don't think I did it with OBP just because I started doing my only OB, my first OBP league this year. Uh, but then just gave those a Z score. So like how many standard deviations above or below the mean is that just to give me a sense of like, we talk about a lot of guys as like five category guys or you know four category guys, three category guys, but really seeing like compared to other people in, um, in the league, like, uh, other baseball players, like how are they, they doing? And mine was definitely flawed because I, it was for the whole baseball universe, really not just looking at folks who are fantasy relevant, relevant. So there's definitely some weaknesses in that approach, but I think actually having both of those approaches so that you can kind of see how people measure up in each of the categories, in addition to their overall value, um, you know, at least for me has been kind of a helpful um, thing to do. I know that the baseball HQ forecaster always does a dollar value um, around players. And so that's something that I'll look at too, um, just to see like, okay, so-and-so's stats were the equivalent of what dollar value last year. And that's always a helpful resource for me too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think digging into some of this stuff, is just helpful in that it gives you a sense of of what like what these players are are, are gonna give you. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the past, I just feel like I I remember doing exactly what I talked about before. That's why I can speak from experience. Like kind of just forgetting about what happened in the league. I mean, baseball is really long. It's easy to to just kind of check out at times, especially you know if you're like twelve at a twelfth in a roto league. You're done, dude. You're just like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. It's, it's football season. I'm going to watch football or I'm going to do something else. Like, I just don't care anymore. Yeah. And it happens. It's happened to all of us. Um, and so, like, then you go back and you're doing your research and, you know, it's like February or whatever. And you're just getting started because that's when most people do fe- January and February. And then you're like, oh, wow, like this player really, really had a great season. And it kind of went under the radar and I didn't realize hmm. And then by the time you're drafting, everyone else is onto him, and then it's like, all right, it's too late. Yeah. Whereas, like, you can get a little bit ahead of the ball, uh, some of even the deeper players when you're going meticulously through each line and each player statistics. So um, mm. it's arduous. It takes a long time, um, but I think it's helpful. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I haven't I hadn't thought about this either, but before, but you know, a lot of what what I'll do too is like, obviously it's random endpoints, but I'll go back and look at how people did in the second half, like to identify trends. Right. So like a guy like Herman Marquez, who we covered uh, earlier on the podcast, like his overall line 
isn't terrific, right? I think his ERA is still over four. Um, but over yeah. the second half of the season, I mean, the guy was was lights out. I had him. So, yeah. So in. I'm so in. <laughs> I can't be anymore in. Yeah. Well, and it's and um, it's so interesting though what you were saying about people kind of checking out is there's probably some hidden value in guys like that because not as many people have been following their season, right? And this may not be the case, like when you're talking about people who are super gung ho on fantasy baseball, right? Who, who kind of live and breathe this stuff. But for, for just your casual player, I think there's probably, you know, a lot of, a lot of value in kind of monitoring some of those changes in the second half where folks who may not have been competitive last year, who got caught up in, in football early, you know, like in August or whatever, like may have missed out on some of these changes and may not value guys where they maybe really should be at. So that's definitely interesting. Um, you mentioned tiers, like that you like to do tiers. And that's something that I also definitely appreciate. I'm moving more and more away from just like a standard rankings because I think team construction, you know, is just, is the name of the game. Um, and obviously like in certain points, you know, rankings are, are critical in determining, but so much of it, like later on in drafts is, you know, what, what are the holes in my team that I'm needed that I need to fill? Um, so can you talk a little bit about just that, like your approach, in terms of tiers versus rankings or what, what you find to be most helpful? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm actually with you. So I do like tiers better. Um, so let me just run down my tiers from third base last year. Cause they were some of the more um, prominent tiers I'd say um, that were pretty clear cut. Right. So it was Arenado, Bryant, Machado, Jose Ramirez, and then Donaldson. That was one. Then Bregman, Rendon, and Justin Turner. And then it was a huge, huge tier of Joey Gallo, Travis Shaw, Kyle Seeger, Miguel Sano, Rafael Devers, Adrian Beltre, Castellanos, and Mustakas. Mm. Right? So I, I think it's something like that that's helpful because, like, Bregman, Rendon, and Turner, right? Going into the season, we all thought that they were pretty much fairly similar. And I actually had a pretty liberal uh, Bregman um Bregman projection, right? I projected him for 25 home runs, which at the time was actually pretty high. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think like if you come out of the draft grabbing any three of those, you know, any three of that tier, you're like, okay, I feel okay. Yeah. Or if you grab the next tier, you're like, okay. So like if you, the approach is like trying to grab a guy from each whatever tier you want and then you can it's, it helps identifying your weaknesses a little bit better mm. right so if you're like if you if i had grabbed a third baseman from that big giant tier maybe i want to grab another one from that big giant tier so if i miss on the first one i can hit on the second one whereas if i'm in the first tier if i have nolan arenado i don't care about third base anymore mm. you know yeah yeah totally yeah this is it's interesting this conversation is actually like raising the idea of I don't know exactly how this would work, but I've really been trying to think about this hard because I really think that just the traditional rankings doesn't work that well. Um, there's obviously limitations to tiers as well, but I wonder if there's like a way to both to tier people, but also like within tiers, identify folks who uh, with different, you know, uh, stats, you know, like let's say you have, you have like uh, your third tier and you've got seven players there and then you're somehow identifying you know, these three guys are good in runs, RBI, you know, so like showing 
showing where they bring value in terms of like the five or six categories uh, and then having them within a tier of overall value. And that way, from like a team construction standpoint, you, you know, there's, 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 a, there's definitely like big dips in, you know, there are situations where there's a big drop off or there seems like there's a big drop off on, on draft time between different tiers, but then finding a way to nuance within those, like within that overall value from a team construction standpoint, like who are the guys, like, let's say I draft early on and I've got like a ton of power, ton of RBIs, uh, you know, and runs, but my batting average and stolen bases are poor. Is there a way where I can look at, and I know that I've got gaps in corner infield and third base, you know, is there a way that I can, where, where I can structure these rankings or these tiers in a way where you actually, you know, see what the value is that each one of those players within the next tier are bringing in those categories. So you can really hone in on, okay, these are the two options for me if I need average and stolen bases. Third base is a bad example because there's no stolen bases really, except for, you know, maybe Bregman. But, um, you know, you know what I'm saying? So like if there's a way to do that in an in a intuitive fashion, I think feel like that's sure, the direction so I want to go. It's almost like a flow chart, mm. right? So like if I have, you know, this many stolen bases at this time, then I want to go in this direction at, outfield if i had this many stolen bases at this time mm. then maybe i want to go in this direction at outfield yeah. right so it's almost like it's almost like a giant flow chart which would be which isn't the way you actually want to do it but um it's kind of like the thought process that you want to have yeah right like um i've now entered this tier this is the remaining players i have option a b and c and a b and c are all dependent on the number of home runs or the number of runs and RBIs I have or whatever it is. You yeah. Know? Yeah, totally. I think that's a, I think that's a really good idea though, because I'm, I'm with you, right? Like we get hung up on ADP and I find that even in, um, even in industry mocks or even industry drafts, um, play players stick to ADP a lot. Actually my home league has more variance in ADP than some of these industry leagues do. Mm. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's because the industry is more locked in or, my home league is more locked in. I don't know, but um, <laughs> I'm with I'm with you because, right? Like, if you just stick to rankings, you can end up with D Gordon and Billy Hamilton on your team. I don't think anyone's ever done that, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Like, it that's, that's kind of useless. Yeah. No, definitely, and and yeah, and I think I think the level of competition of the league, like, there are very competitive home leagues, you know, and then there are also very competitive quote unquote, like expert leagues, leagues, you know, or like fanalists. Uh, some people like to call it fanalists. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's one thing that I, I think I noticed in TGFBI and I've, I've noticed in other competitive leagues that I've been in where, you know, the, the ADP is not as critical and people get their guys. And I think that's one of the things going into draft season two that I think is important is like, is if you like a guy, if you like what they're producing and you, and you, have them higher than other people. ADP is a good guide to make sure you don't jump too soon, but don't wait too long. You know, don't be afraid to jump around uh, or even tune if you, if you have to, to, to guarantee that you get the player that you want. Um, you know, and that's one thing like where, especially with the first few rounds, you can't like script them out. Right. But you can, it's easier to have a flow chart for the first five rounds, say, than it is to to do it for the full draft. 
And so making yeah. sure that you, that you kind of have that plan in advance, I think is, is important and have thought about like, okay, at these different spots, these are probably going to be the people that are available to me. But yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like I think ADP is a good, it's a good way to see like what type of, um, uh, it's a good guide for where you should pick people in the sense of like, um, of not picking somebody way too early, you know, but other than that, like other than that, as a, as a kind of tool of expectation, I guess, like I, I don't, yeah, I, you know, you should get the people that you think are going to do well, because at the end of the season, you always look back and you're like, Holy crap. Like, how was that guy so high? And how was this guy so low? And, you know, you don't want to be left, left hanging. Like, cause like Yadier Molina, he was one of my bold predictions this year that he was going to be a top three catcher. Cause I just loved what I saw second half last year. I only had him in one, mm-hmm. one of my eight leagues. Cause I just didn't, I kept on being like, well, maybe catcher will go one round later. And I missed him. And obviously that's not going to have a huge difference on how my league turned out because catcher was God awful. And that's one of the reasons why he finished as, as one of the top guys, but there's no, there's yeah. no worse feeling than like being like, I saw the breakout. I knew it was coming or not breakout, but you know, like the improved performance, I knew it was coming and I didn't do anything about it, you know? Um, so, uh, well, we've, we've kind of talked about this a little bit already, but like, so we talked a lot about what you do in your prep. So let's say you're getting into that draft, right? You're, you're entering, you know, your big draft of the year. Do you have a general strategy that plays out in all of your drafts? Or do you go in really flexible and responsive to how other people are drafting? Like essentially what is your draft strategy? What's your plan to win as you head into these drafts? Sure. So usually um, it's a little bit of both, right? So um, I usually do mock drafts um, with a couple other people in my league. Um, So specifically my home league, right? The expert leagues or the enthusiast leagues I'm in rather. And my dynasty league, um, right? Dynasty league, you can't really do mock drafts, right? Because it's just, we're grabbing 16 year old kids at this point. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the industry leagues, again, there's really, you know, they're kind of put together whenever. So um, specifically my home leagues, um, I usually mock draft with a couple of guys um, just to get a sense of how we think the board might fall. Mm. Um, and it gives a good sense of, you know, what what sort of, um, what sort of trends might um, occur, right? Like, is, is there going to be an early starting pitching run or – Will pitching hold off a little bit late? Are there a lot of third basemans that are going to go? So do I have to grab one? So it usually affects the top of my draft, maybe the first four rounds. After that, um, I tend to be very responsive. Mm. Um, So if I find that there's a lot of one position going, um, I'll respond in a particular way. Or if I find that there's a lot of starting pitchers that are gone and I don't have one and I have to kind of try and grab um, the tail end of one. Or if there's you know, if that same sort of thing happens, but I just hate, hate all the starting pitchings that starting pitchers that are available until much later, which often happens, right? I'm I, like, this happens almost every year that I like the very top of starting pitching and I like the very end of starting pitching. And in the middle, they're all so similar that I don't know if it's worth taking a pick over more established bats. Hmm. So if that happens to me, right, like I have an ace and there's a giant gigantic pitching run and now we're at pitcher number 35 i might just say you know what i'm gonna punt and grab pitchers at the end and just try and hit a home run on a couple of guys so 
Um, it definitely depends, um, and it'll change as I go. And again, I think the prep is good for the first few rounds in a redraft, and then um, later on, you got to be on your feet. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. And then, um, do you have any particular like? Uh, I know. Uh, do you have particular places or like strategies when it comes to? Um, closers, you talked a little bit about stolen bases. Obviously, stolen bases and batting average are fairly scarce commodities. You're playing a lot of head-to-head, so it may not be the same as, as folks who are playing Roto, but what is your kind of strategy or philosophy um, on batting average, stolen bases, closers, you know, particular, like, it doesn't even have to be stolen bases and batting average. It's that right now, but essentially the scarce categories, if you will. Sure. Well, so batting average... Um... Batting average, I like to get. I like to have um, a foundation in batting average of some sort, um, maybe a guy or two that I can count on. Hmm. Um, stolen bases, again, in head-to-head leagues tend to not be as big of a concern, at least from what I've seen. As far as saves go, um, or relievers in general, I've I've struggled with this. So in the past, um, I was on the punt saves train. Then a couple of years ago, Actually, before this got really popular in fantasy leagues, or I don't know if it's popular, but popular in some of my home leagues, is grabbing very, very good ratio relievers, even if they don't provide saves. Um, I don't play in any saves plus home leagues. Actually, I do one. Um, But in in regular save leagues, um, just grabbing elite ratio relievers, like Andrew Miller, for example, um, that can provide some help. Mm. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe, maybe there is something to having a really, really good, uh, a really, really good closer. Um, but every year I just can't seem to pull the trigger. Yeah. And every year I still manage to be on top of the waiver wire enough that I can grab closers. Um, and part of it is doing exactly what I just said is gra- is rostering, um, some of the elite relievers that don't have closer roles that find their way into closer roles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's like one of the best strategies to do in this case. I mean, it almost always pans out um, because generally speaking, the guys with the best stuff find their ways, way, ways to closer roles. It doesn't always happen. Um, we're talking about MLB managers and some <laughs> of them are boneheads, but um, usually that works out. So I, I know, I know I'm talking a lot about closers, but I think it's important you know, I think it's an interesting argument and it's one that I just can never find myself to spend the fifth or sixth round pick on the Kenley Jansen types when I got Blake Trine in, in round 5,000 this year. Yeah. And I felt, feel really good about it because I knew he was going to be great. You know, something like that. There's yeah. always those guys always every year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm in a similar, similar way. I, I never really take the top closer guys I normally look for that kind of middle tier who have job security and um some some solid skills to back it up uh versus kind of you know spending a high draft pick on them and then looking for some of those some of those guys some of those guys later on um all right so we've kind of covered um postseason evaluation or after the season evaluation since we're not talking about evaluating the postseason um, although it's going well for your, for your Astros so far, uh, much better than it did for the Rockies who scored like two runs. Uh, it's brutal. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a Rockies fan, but that's just, it, you know, when your hitting is that, 
bad uh, over the course of the full postseason, really. I mean, counting the uh, game 163 and the wild card game and, um, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but uh, so we covered that. Anyways, tangent over. Uh, we covered that. We covered kind of draft and the approach there. Now, this is the furthest thing away from us now at this point. But let's talk a little bit about in-season management. Um, so, and we touched on this earlier a little bit about how you how you have a hard time being aggressive early. Um, but you know what? Um, yeah, what is your approach uh, to kind of the waiver wire? Um, you're using your fab. Um, are there? Do you use the same tools that you always use? Is it something modified that you use for particularly for waiver wire? Okay, so um, this isn't something I've done yet, um, and I'm actually so this is my weakest my weakest point as a fantasy analyst by far. Yeah, in season management, and I think it's important an important um, aspect, um, and I think you can win leagues by in season managing. So um, this is somewhere where I strive to be better going forward. Um, as far as fab goes, fab management goes, um, something I plan to do in the future is do the same thing that I've done. With statistics, uh, like overall statistics, it's record um, player fab bids. Um, so I have a hunch that each individual owner tends to have um, tends to have their own tendencies, um, and specifically about certain players, right? High-profile players we're talking about for the most part. Although relievers, I think, are important too, right? Like, how much? What is the going rate for a reliever in your league? what is the going rate for a high-end prospect in your league, right? Like, I know those numbers offhand in one of my home leagues, right? Like, um, the the top young hotshot kid will go for probably, like, around – so we're in a 200 – 250. It will go, like, for around, like, 100, 110, hmm. right? So just a, about half. Whereas a, a, a reliever that might get a job but doesn't have one yet might go for, like, $35, right? So – um, yeah, I think very, very owner dependent. Some, yeah, it is very owner dependent. But I think having some sort of historical, his, some history on what players, what other fantasy players do in your league is a good step. Um, I don't really do much else in the way of um, in-season management tools. The only other thing I think I can think of is if I have a trade, um, I do like to bounce them off of uh, other people. Um, this is another weakness of mine that uh, <laughs> we call it falling into. Um, so our, our home league name is the Chet, Sted- Chet Stedman League. Great name. <laughs> so we call it falling into the Chet Stedman zone where you fall into fall in love with players, even if they're not that good. Yeah. Um, and we've all done that too as fantasy players. Um, so I like to bounce ideas off of um, or ba- bounce trade trade evaluation off of other players, um, even someone like you. I, I definitely look for, for, to as a resource because I think um, it's good to kind of step away sometimes and be like, oh, am I getting a fair deal or is this right for my team? Um, so those are those are those are like the two two things that I, th- I can think of, right? So um, going forward, I'd like to record fab, fab bids more and um, just bouncing ideas off a of trade, bouncing trade evaluation ideas off of other people. Hmm. Um, aside from that, 
I don't have any more scientific <laughs> scientific this. Can I ask you what you do? Uh, for in-season management? Um, yeah. I think... I, uh, really, oh, get better. Yeah, I mean, it depends on... Um, it really depends. I think that I sometimes can be aggressive early. Sometimes I can be... Sometimes I can wait it out. I, I tend to look for a particular player, like where I just have a really good sense of what I think they're going to bring to the table, i.e. like Kyle Tucker putting that huge bid on Kyle Tucker. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he's going to be, he's going to have a great career, but um, oh my God, I know. yeah, that, I'm was, so in. that was kind of later in the season. And I had a ton of fab, which can be dangerous because you end up spending more than you need to. Um, so I do think that being aggressive early because it impacts you the full season is the right way to go. I think not putting a ton into closers is good. Like you'll very rarely see me make, you know, like I normally play in a thousand fab leagues. You'll rarely see me put a hundred bucks down on a closer um, just because, you know, normally they're, they're in a precarious situation. Uh, what's much more likely to happen is like for me to um, go after the, be- the most skilled guy in a committee. You know, so like when the Giants, yeah. when uh, Hunter Strickland punched a wall and there was kind of the, the fight for who would take over for him in the Giants bullpen, I got a bunch of cheap Will Smith because, you know, number one, he had gotten one of the saves the previous week. And I also just looked at the underlying numbers and I was like, man, if this guy can be a closer, we're talking like a top 10 closer rest of season. I don't know if that's what he ended up being because he didn't get a ton of save opportunities. But, like, I, I'll generally look at skills. And so if I can find a guy who's available who has the skills and combination of the skills and opportunity, then I'm not afraid to put a lot down. Um, but in general, I'd say I'm not, like, I'm not a super aggressive bidder. Uh, only when, like, I really feel like uh, somebody is, is going to be, um, you know, really beneficial. Um, and I try to think like a week ahead. So one thing I do do is I'm, I'm in a lot of weekly leagues or bi-weekly leagues. So like where you switch out offense on, uh, third on, on Fridays, you know, so like weekend team. Um, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll often look at like the ESPN forecaster or fantasy pros has their week, their weekly, weekly hitting hitter planner. And I'll just take a look and I'll see like for the forecaster, it shows stolen base matchups, like who's got good stolen base matchups. So, if I'm chasing stolen bases or I'm looking for a stolen base guy, I may go after that. Somebody with a good overall hitting matchup, I might, you know, fab them for a week if the skills are also looking nice. If there's kind of like a confluence of skills and opportunity, maybe not different in the lineup or within the team, but actually like with the schedule. So I'll do things like that generally, um, you know, which I've found to be helpful because, you know, if we can, if you can avoid like, you can avoid the slumps of a player because you see that they have a bunch of tough pitching matchups or you can, you can kind of hone in on the, the hot streaks and only get that part of a player, you know, ideally, right. You'd, it doesn't always happen that way by identifying like easy pitching matchups in weekly leagues. I find that to be helpful in daily leagues. I only play in one daily league, but in that, like I'll, I'll swap out like, uh, like, you know, having folks like this is a bad example for this year, but like Jake lamb who sucks against lefties, but crushes righties. Like he's somebody who, I'll just see whether the Diamondbacks are facing a lefty. And if they are, then I swap him out for somebody else. And I think you can get a lot of value doing that. So those are like the major things that I think with trades, I'm definitely somebody who tries to, um, you know, uh, you know, there's the saying like, buy, uh, buy low, sell high. 
I'm definitely somebody. Who, yeah, I don't think that really exists anymore. I don't think it. I don't think it does either. But I'm somebody who's. Um, I guess I'm not afraid to lose a trade. Like I'm a very big proponent of like get what you need, and so I'll lose a tr- yeah. I'll lose a trade um, in order to get a guy who I think is going to have a really strong stretch at least at the, at the, at the value that they're valued at, at that moment in time. Um, you know, so yep. that might be, that might be an example like uh, Tyson Ross this year. Like he was a guy who I traded when he was kind of close to his peak value because I saw the skills eroding. I didn't think he was going to be that good. Right. I don't know for sure that that's going to happen and I'm not trying to take advantage mm-hmm. of anybody, but like, I'm, uh, you know, that's somewhere where I was like, okay, well, I don't think he's going to be as good as he has been. So I'm going to try to see if I can get a piece that I need uh, for, for him right now. Um, and so trying to fill that need um, would, be, would be something else. But those are, those are kind of the major things that I, I kind of look at. Um, uh, and so are there other pieces of in-season management for you? Uh, like, like trading, you said you kind of tend to fall in love with people. Uh, uh, is there any like trading particular trading strategy you have or anything else in season management wise? No. Well, so, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't even mention this, but I, I do sort of the same thing. So most of my leagues are head to or uh, daily leagues, mm. um, but I'll do the same sort of thing, right? Like check out matchups daily, um, make sure that Jake Lamb's not fate, not, I don't have him plugged in against the lefty. Um, those are, those are pretty simple things to do. Um, but I realize that in, in daily leagues, um, again, that's a lot of, um, yeah. but you can make up a lot by just having, um, you know, having, having guys get com- compile is important. So, um, if you're in a daily league, uh, my best advice is to just be diligent about checking. Um, even if it's, again, even if it's arduous, um, yeah. And as far as trades go, uh, I'm the complete opposite of you. And again, it's someone, it's, it's something that I strive to do better um, going forward in that um, I, in the past I've been, I, I've often been hung up about winning trades. Um, but this, that idea coupled with being more aggressive are two of, two of the things that I look to change as a player. Um, in just not being afraid to lose trades. I think um, often I go in not being afraid to lose in general instead of trying to win, mm. um, which is a problem. Um, the, the way I like to describe myself is like I'm either seven and nine, eight and eight, or nine and seven, right? Yeah. I either just miss I'm like kind of right, right there, or I get in and then I'm kind of knocked out, yeah. right? Um, and, and that applies in Roto too, right? Like you're either – in the in a twelve teamer, you're either like seven, eight, nine. You're like four, five, six, or you're like two or three, like just on the edge, but just can't get in, you yeah. know. Um, so that's how like a lot of my fantasy seasons have gone, and I think it's because of the lack of aggression and the lack of ability to suck it up and be like, okay, like if I make this deal, it's better for my team, even if this deal in a vacuum is bad. Yeah, well, I think that that's sometimes more difficult in home leagues too is like, is the, uh, where you all know each other is making a trade where you might lose and, you know, getting kind of getting, getting crap for it from the various people in your league, uh, who know, who know you well and, and stuff like that. So, 
that could be an element of it too. Um, so uh, this was actually scheduled for earlier, but I'm, I'm just curious, like after all we've talked about kind of draft in-season management, people say, you know, the draft is this percentage of importance towards you winning in a given league. And then in-season management is X percentage, right? Like a lot of people will say like 60, 40, 60 draft, 40 in-season management. What would you say yeah. is that, uh, is that percentage for you with a little bit of an explanation of why that is? Sure. So can I, can I flip this on you a little bit? Uh -oh. um, can I give you my number? You give me my number and then we, and then we talk about it. Um, so what I think yours is, is what I think your number is going to be. Oh, no, no, no. What your number actually is. Oh, okay. What my number, my number is. I wish I had a number for sure. Um, I think it depends on how deep. Uh, oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll just give you mine first. Okay. Right? So it is 60-40, right? So I think it's 60% draft, 40% in-season management. Don't, don't cop out. Don't give me, don't give me, uh, I, this is, yeah. this is 12 to 15, 15 okay. teams. Yeah, 12 to 15 teams. So I, I think that, well, I think there's a big difference there. I think in 12 teams, there's enough talent on the waiver wire where I would say it is, I don't know, I'd even push it to 50-50 in a 12-team league, depending, right? Like weekly versus daily. But I actually think in 12-team leagues, there are so many guys that you can get um, off the waiver wire, depending on the bench size. Again, like it always depends on all these league factors. But like, I think I have a five-player bench in my 12 team league uh, with, with two or three DL slots. I think we increased it to three DL slots. And, you know, in that league, I feel like there's a not, there's always stuff on the waiver wire, right? Like I picked up Herman Marquez with like two months left in the season after he already had like two weeks yeah. of like, or a month of, of stellar. What's that? 40, 60. What's that? I was just thinking like in a league like that, it's probably like 40, 60 then. Yeah. And then I would say like in, in, um, in a deeper league, in like a 15-team league, I would say it's more like 60, maybe like 67, 33, something like that. Because you, there really is a, bit, a much smaller pool that you're drawing from. Like TGFBI had small benches. It only had five-person benches instead of like seven, or some leagues have even more than that. Um, and it also had DL slots. Um, so that made it a little bit uh, a deeper as well. Um, and it had five DL slots, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, or three. I think, I think it was five. Um, but, you know, in a league like that, it's just so hard to get uh, pitching. It's so hard to get impact bats. And on the wire, people go so quickly um, that I think draft has a ton to do with it because you have to have a really strong core. Um, that said, like, you know, even in TGFBI, I, I ended up, you know, co-winning that league. And I finished, I think, like 18th at, out of everybody in that league. Jose Altuve was my first draft pick, you know, and like he definitely didn't give me uh, what I thought he was going to give me. Carlos Martinez, yeah, sure. and this is where I totally messed up. Carlos Martinez, I think, was my fourth pick. Yeah, he would have yeah. been my he would have been my fourth pick, and he didn't do well at all. I was deciding between Carlos Martinez and Chris Davis, and I went Carlos Martinez. And the, the day after I made that pick, I literally sent out a tweet that was like, I have no idea why I drafted Carlos Martinez, just because he was left over and, like, he should have been drafted or something. But, um, you know, so you can still make mistakes, I think, and do well. But I also got Max Muncy, right? And so that helped to, to fill a hole in power that I had. Um, and so things can change, like, 
pretty sizably. Like I picked up Alberto Mondesi, like as a good example. I had Elvis Andrews was my fifth round pick and he was injured for like, you know, a third of the season. So there are ways to overcome it, I think, but there's a lot smaller uh, margin of error. Um, and you need to get one of those guys. You need to get that Aaron Judge, that Max Muncy, that guy who just kind of hops off the wire um, if you're going to compensate for it. So that's why I'd kind of push it that that far. Yeah, I think ideally, right, leagues would be set up in a way that the draft puts you all in a pool. You know, if you're in a 12 or 15 team league, like everyone is sort of starting off at like eight and eight. Like if it was competitive, right? Yeah. Um, assuming it was competitive. Right, like everyone's starting off in I'm gonna make the football analogies, right? Like everyone starts off at like eight and eight or, you know, maybe six and ten or you know, the really the better teams twelve and four, but everyone's in the neighborhood and then the in season management puts you either far ahead or buries you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think that probably extends to most leagues. Um most leagues that people play in, um, you know, not AL only two catcher leagues or you know, crazy formats like that, um, where something like that, you know, draft is, is almost all of it, right? Yeah. Or getting extraordinarily lucky when you drafted someone in the NL and you're waiting for them to, to get traded to the AL, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think for, for most of the leagues I'm in, 60% draft is where it's at, um, you know, you can really bury yourself if you get hurt by either injuries or really bad luck. Um, and then you can make up a lot of it with the, with the four Making trades again, being aggressive on the waiver wire, um, being, being a waiver wire Hawk for, for saves closers, um, is important. Um, so yeah, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be really in order to win, in order to win these competitive leagues, you gotta be sharp at both. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, you kind of already answered this, but I'll ask it to you just because, um, just because you are you are somebody who appreciates it, and that is, uh, you know, the job interview question. So, what is your weakness as a fantasy analyst? Yeah, so so like I said, right, it's um, it's it's primarily in season management, right? That forty percent, um, I think. Well, from what I remember in redraft leagues where I have drafted very, very well, um, I have finished in like that, that 12 and four range, right? Either made the playoffs or just finished outside the top one in Roto. Mm. Um, and it was the weakness of my in-season management, which didn't put me over the top and, and helped me win. Um, you know, there have been times where I've, I've been – been better at it and made a couple of moves and have, have pushed forward. Right. And won. Um, but, um, I'm, I'm just spe- speaking specifically about the failures. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and that's where, that's where I messed up. Right. Just, just not identifying, um, truly my weaknesses, um, and making moves for, for those weaknesses or, or, you know, just holding on to a guy a little bit too long when there was a guy that was red hot that I should have picked up and turned into something. Um, yeah, that's what I'd say. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think I've, I've, uh, I've mentioned this before on the, on the show, but I think one of them is, uh, is kind of being so into skills or especially around plate discipline that I won't go after guys. Like one of my bold predictions was that Javi Baez was going to finish outside the top. 250 
which does not look good uh, at the end of the season, but it's the, it was his approach, right? Like the terrible plate discipline, super high O swing contact wasn't that bad. Um, I mean, it's it, his in zone con- his contact overall is bad, but his in zone contact isn't that bad, um, which I think is key to making quality contact. And he made a, made a leap there, but guys like that, I've really shied away from taking. And I think, especially when they're, com- you know, you're in a batting average league. So yeah, plate discipline is important for like runs and getting on base, but it's not essential for batting average. And so going after more um, guys like that, like a good example, another example would be Tim Anderson, right? Like where I would have never even considered drafting him. And yeah, his batting average is also going to be crappy, but, um, but having that speed, I think like sometimes players with that profile can actually get you value because they're, undervalued or because people are so focused on how bad their approach is that they miss what the value in their profile might be. And I think that's the guy that I've been for a long time. And so I'm trying to change that a little bit and kind of leave myself a little bit more open to taking those guys. That doesn't mean I'm going to go after Baez in the first or second round this year because I'm not, but like uh, I mentioned, uh, I really like Avisail Garcia for next year. I think he's going to go, you know, 220, 230 range in ADP and he actually had better contact this year than in the season that he hit over 300. He was just injured. His BABIP was much lower than it usually is. Um, And so, you know, that's a guy who maybe has terrible plate discipline, but I can definitely benefit from the average. Um, You know, there are other guys. So O swing is important. It's normally the first skill that I look at when I'm analyzing players, but I've got to realize that, people can have other skills and they can still be successful without that skill. And, and a lot of times I kind of just foreclose being open to them when they, when they have that. So um, I'm going to digress just a little bit, but I have a question for you. Um, This is about a specific player I'm interested in. And it's a little bit of a hot take, but what's the take on Moncada going into next year? Oh, Moncada. I'll put you on the spot here. Yeah. Um, So uh, I love Moncada heading into next year. Um, At the end of the season, he had a surge in Z contact uh, to the highest point in his career. So in zone contact, he's always had really tremendous plate discipline. Actually, his problem is, 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 uh, is called strikes. He's, he's, he led the league in called strikes this year. And so that's an adjustment that he's going to have to make, but I think he brings enough to the table. Uh, The challenge for me is always like, a lot of times in drafts, like what I'm trying to do is um, uh, I'm really looking at uh, laying a batting average foundation early and getting stolen bases early as well. Um, kind of getting a lot of balanced profiles um, as much as I can. And so a lot of times a guy like him, because of where he's going around like 140, 150, uh, I think he went 140 on average in two early mocks. Like, I, I don't know if I'll pull the trigger on him right there because the batting average is just so is so dangerous. But I really do like what I saw. His fly ball rate also dipped, um, which was good because it was it was it was pretty high there for a while. And his line drive rate increased, which I think could help that batting average. Line drive rate is is I don't re- normally look at it, but when I see like a when somebody's losing fly balls and they're adding line drives, that just tell me it tells me that the launch angle is getting a little better. It's like those lower nice launch angles instead of like the infield fly ball 
or fly ball types. So um, I need to dig deeper into his profile, look at some of the X stats on him, but I actually really like him heading into next year. I just think he's one of these guys who is still very young, has, has a, a, a good approach at the plate, doesn't make as much contact as he should and isn't as aggressive as he should be. Um, so maybe I'll look at where his Z swing is, has been recently, like his end zone swing rate. And, and if that's going up, that, that might bode well. But like, uh, yeah, I, I'm generally like pretty in on him for next year. Yeah, yeah, I'd um, I'd be interested to see what um if he made any adjustments um during that surge of Z contact, um specifically like any mechanical adjustments because uh, I'm just looking right now, right? He's one twenty ninth of one forty qualified hitters in Z contact, but he's also one of the best in O swing percentage, right? So um, yeah, yeah like just. He's just missing balls, but he's not—he's not chasing, right? So he's got a good eye, but he's just not putting contact yeah. on them. Um, so I'd be—I'd be curious. He's got it. He... He made a mechanical adjustment. Maybe, um, maybe he raised his arms. Maybe he lowered his arms. Maybe he's—he changed a leg kick or something um, to, to get that Z contact uh, surge that that you described. I, I haven't actually looked, but um... uh, I think I—I I, I think I saw somewhere actually. Um, that there was a mechanical adjustment. I want to say one of the writers for the athletic who covers the white Sox mentioned there being one. Oh, so this is interesting. So um, I'm just on his player profile. Yeah. So his Z contact uh, over the last 30 games of last year was 87.8%. 85.5% was major league average. Yep. So about uh, like 3% above league average. And his, uh, his Z swing has been high recently, but he hasn't coupled coupled it with the same level of surge and there was there was a surge in z swing so in zone swing rate um uh got up there i'm sure it's still under league average it's at like 68.7 percent i don't know what league average is but um it it also surged at the same time that his z contact did so maybe there was also mechanical and a and a an approach change there yeah yeah i i gotta dig a little bit deeper too yeah i just i just brought him up right because He's not necessarily like Baez or even Mondesi, um, the, the free-swinging, chasing guys, um, but he has had trouble striking out, right? So I thought it would be interesting to get your take on a player like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, great question. Um, so uh, the next up is one of my favorite uh, segments of the show. It's the uh, uh, hard cookies and uh, fresh-baked cookies. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I explain it each time, but essentially the hard cookies are uh, your disappointments for 2019 and the fresh baked cookies are the guys that you like heading into 2019. And the reason for this is that there is nothing as disappointing as going to a bakery, ordering a wonderful looking cookie and finding out that it's. Oh, hard. man. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know. I don't know if you share yeah. that uh, that fear, but uh, that's that's where I'm at. Totally. Yeah. Nice. Fluffy cookie. Yeah. Mm. yeah totally um so yeah so who are the three guys that you kind of like heading into next year based on where you see their adp uh in in 2019 sure draft? so um i don't actually i don't actually have the the uh Justin uh yeah i did i did partake okay in i didn't get a chance to yeah um, i passed with wedding yeah, planning let... but um <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll 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 keep. Yeah, you busy. but um, 
Yeah, I got to get my hand on this because I, I didn't actually uh, pull the ADPs for these players. Um, so it's kind of just going on gut. Um, so my the first big players I've got are Kyle Tucker, Jermaine Marquez, and Matt Olson. So um, Tucker, Tucker comes. So Tucker, Tucker's at, at 200 ADP. Yeah, like that's pff, such money, right? The, the reason I thought Tucker would be pretty low is because um, he had such a ridiculously poor showing. And I still think that fantasy analysts would be like, okay, like, you know, he's got a huge pro- prospect pedigree and he's probably going to be playing um, – because there's a lot of guys that are going to be shuffled and out of, out of Houston next year. Um, so he's, he'll probably get the starting role. Um, and from what I've seen both with Kai and in, um, and in the advanced stats, right, I like, right? Um, he hits the ball hard. He's had incredible guys. I mean, like, however many players it's actually almost like ridiculous how bad it was. Um, I saw him. Can, uh, Joe, Joe, can you can you say that one more time? You were just breaking oh, up. Yeah, yeah, bit. sure. About Tucker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, a, a lot of it is both the eye test and in the advanced stats, right? Like he's he's been so so unlucky. I I can't even like begin to describe it. Like, I think he's had something like 50, 50 or so plate appearances, and it's just ridiculous how unlucky he's actually been. I mean, I think he's he hit, like, 150 or something like that. Um, from, yeah. from what I've seen, you know, right, I'm the Red Dead Astros fan, as I like to call myself. Um, so I've got a lot of games. He's hit the ball so hard. He's got a great approach. Um, I actually saw um, on the Astros subreddit, um, fans complaining about Tucker because they think he um, he has like no, shows no emotion and he's into the game. I think that's a <laughs> yeah. great thing. Um, he's so he's so stoic and measured up there. Um, he has a great approach to to each at bat. You know, he doesn't let the previous at bats get to him. He's fast. He has power. I saw him hit. Oh my god! I saw him hit a ball like just short of Taltail, or well, where Taltail used to be, you know, like at the wall. It was like a four hundred foot out, and I was like, "Oh my goodness gracious!" Anywhere else, this is a home run. But like he, he's just got such a great approach. I'm totally in on Tucker. Even at two hundred, I'm gonna be in. Um, I expect really, really big things out of Tucker. Yeah, and it's interesting, like. Um... A lot of times the prospects that come out and struggle initially are the ones that you can get that really good value on. I mean, everybody talks about Mike Trout, but, you know, a lot of times you have these prospects who come up, they have very small sample sizes that you're looking at and people are so quick, you know, with recency bias to like, just, you know, kind of dismiss them out of hand. And so you see them, you know, fall so far, like even, um, well, I'm I'm actually really, really interested to see, let's see where he's ended up. Yeah, like uh, Victor Robles, I guess, was going at like around 120 ADP, but I think he's going to be a bargain uh, there uh, next year. But um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Kyle Tucker is one. Uh, you mentioned Herman Marquez, yeah. and his ADP was uh, was 117, which was actually very surprising to me. He went lowest in my league at 103. Um, but yeah, talk to us about Marquez. Yeah, sure. So um... – I don't know. So, like, the way I like to often think about pitchers is where they fall in line with one another. Um, so, like, I don't know what one – would you say 117? 
117. Yeah, I don't know where that'll put in in terms of pitchers. Probably like in the 25-ish range. Um, and I'm still okay with him there. Um, the big thing is the slider usage, right? So the fastball was always okay. The curveball was always excellent. And now he's got a third pitch in the slider that's a weapon. Um, that's all I need, honestly. Um, two ridiculous secondary offerings and a fastball that's serviceable, I'm in. I don't care about cores. John Gray's got problems with his fastball. We know that. He's got backup issues. Yeah. Ramon Marquez is a different animal. He's got the, secondary, the wicked, wicked secondary offerings, right? Um, that's all I really need, honestly. There's not much more. Um, I mean, coupled with, you know, the over 10, the over 10K per nine, he doesn't walk a lot of guys. The ERA, even with the beginning of the season, um, it's still only 377. I mean, sure, there's going to be times. Wow. There's going to be times um, when he gets roughed up, right? He is in cores. Every pitcher is prone to getting roughed up in cores. Um, but I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I don't care at 117. I'm in. <laughs> All right. Cool. Yeah. And, and when you talk about skills, I mean, Marquez, second half of the year has been lights out. His swinging strike rate is uh, just surged. I can't remember what it finished out, but I feel like over the last month of the season, it was above 15%. Um, just awesome. Uh, Matt Olson, you mentioned as another guy that you like a lot. His ADP is at one uh, is at 105, which is so interesting to me because that's like – Feel like well, I can't remember where it was last Probably year. But, um, Twenty last anyways. year. Was yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. So not as surprising. But talk to us about Olson. Sure. So tell me what you love about so him. So Matt Olson's interesting, right? Um. So coming into this this past season, I wasn't particularly in on him. And the reason I wasn't in on him is because, you know, I felt like everyone was kind of still glamoring over what he had done in the 200 plate appearances or whatever it was the previous season. And everyone just saw 40 home runs. It was just like, he's going to get to 40 home runs. It's, you know, and if he doesn't get to 40, he'll get to 35. No problem. Right. That's kind of what the sentiment was. And I think what I felt was, I don't know. I think he's going to need seasoning because he crushed the ball in such a small sample. I thought that pitchers didn't, Pitchers didn't have a tape on him, and they were gonna they were going to adjust in some sort of way um, over a full season. And I think a little bit. I haven't dug, dug too deep into Olsen, so um, bear with me. But I I I wouldn't be surprised if a little bit of that happened. Right? Uh, pitchers started to exploit some weakness in, in Olsen. Coming into this year, though, I like if you just look at the kid, right? You can easily see where the 40 home run projection comes. Um, this isn't, I mean, actually, it's supported by the StatCast data, the, the, the barrels. He, he crushes the ball. But even just with the eye test, right, he's a big kid. He's got a big uppercut swing to generate, to generate power. Um, and so this year, I think, is the time where he could potentially make a step forward, right? He's had now a year and a year and a, I don't know, maybe an eighth or a quarter under his belt. Right, so now he's got some seasoning. Now we can kind of sit back and launch forward. Um, 100 is pretty expensive. Um, I didn't think it would be quite as high. I thought he'd probably sit right where he was last year. Um, but 
I still think that's probably going to be okay. All considered. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I like Olsen. Um, I think a lot of it will depend on team construction for me, like where I go. I don't mind the 105 ADP. Sure. Uh, I think he underperformed. Uh, X stats shows that he underperformed from batted ball quality. I think I saw enough improvement in, in his contact rates that I, I'm confident that he is going to not be a huge suck on batting average, at least I, not too bad of a suck on batting average. And so I am, uh, yeah, I, I like, I like Olsen. I think the skills are also really nice. He's a guy who consistently is above 40% hard ball, a hard hit rate and fly ball rate. So, um, so yeah, he's a guy that I like, um, a lot as well. Uh, let's, uh, let's hop over to the, uh, our hard cookies, our, our bitter disappointments. Um, what are um, three, who are three players that you think are going to uh, underachieve compared to uh, uh, their ADPs? Sure. So um, the first one I think is easily Javier Baez. Um, I feel very confident that he'll be overdrafted next year. This was a guy that we were taking um, 140 plus last year, right? So his range of outcomes is from 140 plus to I don't know where, where did where did he finish this year? Maybe 10, uh, yeah, he, it depended on the player rate, but he was he was top ten. He ended up top ten because the stolen bases. Okay, stolen base batting right, average. So a player, a player with that huge variance, and like you you mentioned earlier, and you mentioned is important is his plate discipline skills. I just find it tough. Um, I know that he swings at everything, so his batting average is kind of protected that way. And he's shown it now for three years, right? Despite chasing everything that's thrown at him, he can still, you know, keep it 270 plus. Um, so I've got to admit that I think he'll probably still keep it 270 plus. Um, and I actually, I liked the power potential. So I projected him for 24 home runs, which I thought was not you know not a not a conservative projection yeah um he did explode for 34 um the stolen base numbers exploded too um but i just i don't know i can't i can't buy into to, to a player with such a huge 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 potential variance in his outcomes um Probably as high as he's going to go. I mean, what do you figure he's going to be like top twenty-four? Uh, yeah, definitely. He, he ended up being uh, he was twenty-one ADP in the early mock drafts. Yeah. So, all right, we just talked about Javi Baez. Who's the next guy on your list, Joe? Yeah, sure. So um, it's Evan Gaddis. Uh, so the real beef I have with Gaddis is I can see um, MLB. You know, since he's a free agent. Um, you know, kind of like the Corey Dickerson treatment, or not the Corey Dickerson treatment. Who, who's another? Who, who's another guy like him? I can't think of anyone right oh, now like off a, the top of that. Like, a, uh, like, like Kendris, a Kendris Morales, yeah, or okay. Moustakis, right? Yeah. You know th- those types of guys, right? He's pretty bad at defense. Um, he's an awful outfielder. He he's an you know maybe average at best catcher, probably not even. Um, and he doesn't do anything particularly special in terms of um, in terms of offensively, right? Um, he, he doesn't strike out a lot. He he's got a fairly good walk rate, but you know he's like a twenty-five home run hitter, two fifty-ish batting average. He's nothing special. So 
the real beef with Gaddis is now that he's DH only, um, I could see him working himself into like pretty sketchy playing time situations, unless if he's on a really, really bad team, which could be a good thing. Um, yeah. So I think uh, I think you had just mentioned to me that his ADP was something like 220 or 224, 224. Yeah, or two early mocks. So that's actually not so bad. Um, but even still, he's not providing you anything in particular that's really sexy. Um, I mean, maybe he's like a roster construction sort of guy, right? Like if you need to fill in a couple of home runs, like if you're really, really hurting for home runs. But at 220, I'd rather roll the dice on someone that can win me the league instead of, you know, kind of just filling in some stats. Um, And again, I think a large part of it will be where he ends up, right? If he ends up on another contender, um, I think he'll probably have a tough time generating enough plate appearances to be really, really all that good. Whereas if he's on a really, really bad team, maybe he can squeak away some value. Yeah, definitely. And that the loss of catcher eligibility, you know, depending on, did he play catcher at all this year? He did not. He didn't play it at all. No. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to be a big, uh, a big dent in his value. I mean, most of what he provided, if anything at all this year, I mean, you mentioned the home runs, but was, was the fact that you could plug him in and as your catcher two or, catcher one in some instances so um definitely can see the 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 trouble there uh who's your who's your third uh who's your third hard cookie who's going to disappoint you sure so this one hurts um because i i really do love the player but i can just see the adp getting higher and higher and higher because of how good he is um both uh, both with the eye test, both with the regular stats and advanced stats, and how good he is at defense, it's Matt Chapman. Um, so he's a very, very, very good player right now. He's got excellent discipline skills. As I mentioned before, he's arguably the best defender in the league. Um, you know, People are talking about him getting MVP votes this year um, because of how much value he he added with the glove. So it hurts me to say this, but I think right now his ADP is 84. um, And I could quickly see that climbing higher and higher. Um, I think at 84, that's probably okay. But I think it's probably going to start to climb higher and higher and higher and be somewhere in the 60s. And then at that point, it's like, what are you really getting, right? Um, even with the excellent plate discipline skills, he I think he hit just under 280 this year, um, which is good, but it's not 320. And, you know, I think there's more home run potential in that bat. Um, but even still, he's only he's only given you 24 at peak so far. Um, you know, he did score a lot of runs. Um, he's right near Chris Davis, which is great. And he hit he hit even higher in the lineup. Um you know, 68 RBIs is okay, but I, I, and again, I do think that he's got, you know, close to 30 home run pot, um, but you're kind of already paying for it and banking it in if he, if he's in the sixties, which I think is where he'll end up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the skills, the skill transformation that he had this year was quite something with the, you know, he's always had pretty decent plate discipline, but um, improved this year, as did, you know, his contact skills over the course of the year. 
I can see the reason why people would be very interested with him, but I agree that the profile isn't, um, it doesn't scream upside to me. Um, you know, and a lot depends on where he bats in the lineup, but, um, you know, I, I can see, you know, uh, the lack of any stolen bases really coming from him. Um, you know, and, and, and him already being a lot further along than we anticipated, uh, could, could drive up the, the ADP and, and make it so that there isn't a lot to get there. Um, yeah, so you're, 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 you're not entirely convinced by some of the skill changes or it's just the, it's just the overall profile that just doesn't really, you don't see a lot of upside in it. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's just really strictly the ADP. Um, cause I think, you know, if he gets the 30 home runs and he bats 278, um, he'll probably be that, like that probably ends up putting him probably, you know, something like 30 or 35th overall, if I had to guess, right. With no, sol- practically no stolen bases. Um, right. Cause the batting average will keep, keep him afloat. Um, yeah. which I think, I think a lot of it, a lot of it would depend on the, on where the counting stats sure. are, I think, um, you know, because 30 home runs is, is it's good, you know, but it's not necessarily, uh, it's not, gr- it's not great. Um, right. There are guys who will get you 30 home runs with, you know, maybe, maybe a lot more RBIs than runs as is the opposite case from Chapman with, you know, maybe a, a little bit of a batting average down from where he finished this year, but, um, home runs when they're, when they're, you know, kind of in isolation, don't have as much value. Sure. Yeah. And you know, if, if I do feel like Matt Olson is going to take a step forward, um, that would be a good thing for, for Chapman, right? Cause conceivably Chapman's probably not going to go that further, further down the line than two. Um, he was pegged in at one or I think two for most of the season. Once, once Semi yeah. got bumped, um, I think Chapman, Chapman hit up there. Um, so that's why the, I, I agree with you. That's why the runs are so, so good. Um, but you know, we just did see over a half season the season before him bat 234 and that was with a 290 bat at two. Um, but again, you know, he did make, uh, appreciable changes to the plate discipline, which is good. Um, I just think, yeah, it's just, I, the ADP is too rich for a player that, doesn't have ridiculous upside, um, specifically in the speed. And um, I'm just not sure. Like, someone like Kyle Tucker, right? Like, if he really busts out, could potentially be better than Chapman. Maybe not in the runs in RBI because he's going to hit further down the lineup, right? But he can probably catch up in home runs and stole- and definitely eclipse him in stolen bases, you know? So – and yeah. he's going to be going 150 picks later. Um, so it's sort of like that, right? And, and it, again, it, it pains me because I love Chapman. Like, he's the man. And I think that's, that's w- why the ADP is so high, because everyone loves Chapman so much, because he is the man. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a fun player to watch because of that defense. And offensively, it's nice to see a young guy making such, uh, such big strides that really weren't anticipated. Um, from from all of the scouting reports that I had seen that nobody was expecting what he put together this year. So, you know, who knows, maybe he'll do better the next year. I, I think a lot of it depends on who's around him, you know, and I think of guys like uh, Tommy Pham, I think is going around this similar area and ADP 
So a guy like that has a similar kind of run and RBI profile as Chapman. I think the the batting average is similar. Home runs may be down a little bit, but adds a lot of speed to the equation. I would tend to prefer a guy like that, you know, who who brings a little bit in all of the categories um, and a lot in some uh, than somebody with Chapman's profile who is definitely going to, um, you know, he's not, you know, he's not going to be helping in some, in some places. So yeah, definitely. You know, um, you, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. You know, you know who, um, you know who I like probably, I, I don't actually know his ADP, his early ADP, but you know who I probably am going to like better than Chapman. And that's Justin Turner. Um, is that, mm. that's not who you just said, right? <laughs> No, 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 no. That was Tommy Pham. Oh yeah, Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham. I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Turner. Turner has almost exactly the same skill set. Right. Um, good batting average skills. Uh, you know, mid twenties home run skills. Um, depending on where he is in the lineup, you know, potentially runs and RBIs. But he'll go later. And he was hurt. Um, but once he was back, he was back. I mean, there's like nothing yeah. in Turner's profile that screamed uh, a huge regression and the wrist was a problem. So Turner's going to go later than Chapman and he's probably going to be very similar in the end. Um, so that, that's my sort of feeling right now. Yeah, and I think with Turner, the batting average upside is a lot higher too. I mean, exactly. I the, the batting average floor too is, is higher. And I think that's one of the things is, you know, a guy who will give you that, level of batting average that you know potential that justin turner has you know that's kind of what i'd be looking for in that area versus you know that or stolen bases or something elite or something at least balanced in that area as opposed to somebody maybe with chapman's profile so i'm i'm there with you i have to dive in a little bit more on chapman just to kind of see um you know, just to do the normal analysis that I do, like looking at X stats where he ended up versus where maybe the expected stats say he should be looking a little bit closer at that contact surge and, you know, the, the O swing and, and, you know, fly ball and other um, kind of batted ball profile issues to see where I think he'll end up and whether I'm set in stone and thinking that, but generally speaking, the guys with his profile, I don't tend to draft um, super high. Again, I'll have to look at what, what type of a season he ended up happening for having from a value perspective, but um, a definitely point taken there with him. Um, all right. Well, I think that's going to uh, wrap us up, Joe. Thank you so much um, Toby, for joining me. You. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if uh, hopefully people won't be able to tell we had some audio issues. You were very flexible. Uh, I really, really appreciate that. It's been awesome chatting with you. We covered a lot of ground. Um, really, um, really enjoy your analysis, really enjoy, uh, the fantasy world order podcast. Um, you mentioned there are some changes, uh, going on with the podcast, but hoping to see that, uh, come back uh, very soon. Uh, do you want to remind folks where they can reach you? Sure. Um, uh, my Twitter handle is at Joe F W O again, that's J O E F W O and Toby, man, thank you so much for having me. It's it's always a pleasure talking to you. This is the second time I've gotten to talk to you. It's been great both times. Um, we've jived together. We've got the same sort of analysis. So um, this stuff's a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for giving me your insight. Um, I, I really appreciate it all. Thank you, dude. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, 
Uh, I think it was mentioned on the pod. You're getting you're getting married in December, so yeah. best of luck with all of the plans and everything like that. Congratulations. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't. Um, well, I hope you spend as much time as you need to on that. But uh, hopefully, it doesn't take too much away from your uh, your fantasy baseball <laughs> uh, 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 planning. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. Priorities, right? Yeah. Um, no, but definitely congratulations. Have a great time. I'm sure we'll be in touch. Thanks again for being on the pod. Thanks, dude. Oh. All right. Take it easy. You too. Bye. Well, that is going to wrap us up for episode 25 of the Batflip Crazy podcast. Thanks again for to Joe Saunders for joining me. Uh, Definitely hope folks enjoyed that. I know I really enjoyed the conversation. I learned a lot both about some tools like the histograms on Baseball Savant, as well as just kind of thinking through some of uh, overall strategy and and the way I may do some of my draft prep this year. So definitely enjoyed that conversation, learned a lot. Hope you did too. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this podcast or you've enjoyed just listening uh, to uh, all of the podcasts that we've been putting out, definitely go to iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Leave a five-star rating, leave a review. It really does mean the world to me, and I, I just really appreciate it. Um, so I'm going to continue to start uh, to keep bringing some of these podcasts, hopefully once a week throughout the off-season, touching on a lot of different topics. If there are particular topics that you'd like me to cover, uh, definitely just hit me up on Twitter, let me know. Uh, I am happy to be responsive to folks who are interested um, in listening. Thank you so much for listening. Good luck with all of your fantasy baseballing off-season. Enjoy the postseason and be kind to one another. Thanks so much for listening.